1: Welcome to all of you. I want you to know if you're here for the first time today, uh, you are so welcome here. If you're joining us online like you might today, uh, we wish you were here. We'll see you next Sunday. Um, we'd love to meet you and get to know you. Um, today we're continuing our People Skills series and where we explore the topic that touches all of us, which is human relationships. And so... Our hope today in this series and today and every Sunday thereafter is that we would become more and more like Jesus in how we relate to each other. So before we continue, I'm going to lead us in some prayer. We're going to start with some prayer. So let me pray for us. Um, Let's pray together. Lord, we invite you to be here amongst us as we address the issue of anger. Working us through the hearing of your word, and we worship you today for what you're going to do. All the glory belongs to you, Lord God, and we love you for it. Amen. Ian, I'm just going to get you to turn off the monitors on the stage. I'm in a fishbowl today. Um, but let me tell you guys there's nothing as common or as complex, or as dividing as the issue of anger. And so anger can damage our relationships and derail our lives, just like you saw in that video uh, with Ryan Gosling losing his mind and letting anger erode his life over a font. And so today I want to answer the question that we all ask sooner or later, is what can we do with anger? You all know the feeling of anger. The your ears begin to burn and that little vein in your head starts to resurface and starts throbbing. Your heart rate increases and you're flushed with sweat, your muscles tighten and your breath shortens and increases and intensifies. You feel sometimes shaky and sometimes you get sick to your stomach. You clench your jaw and sometimes you fight back involuntary tears. Think about what makes you angry. For a second perhaps you're only angered by small things like you know poor grammar or lazy font choices or if you're me how hard it is to type a text message with really fat thumbs. that makes me a little angry Uh, maybe it's people who walk very slowly in front of you at the mall that makes some people angry or something is more serious like politics or economics Uh, Or violence and hate crimes maybe that makes you angry whatever it looks like when we're bound to ask ourselves when we experience anger what happened there what just happened what came over me and so before we can figure out what to do with our anger we must define what anger is so simply what is anger you know anger is defined in the dictionary as a strong feeling of annoyance displeasure or hostility And so even today, more than that, we have a greater understanding of what anger is. And so I simply define it as an emotion that tells us that something is wrong. And so, for example, we may feel angry when something is beyond our control. We may feel angry when we think something is unfair. We may feel angry when we can't reach our goals or when we're under stress. Or maybe we feel angry when someone else is hurt or threatened or we're hurt and threatened ourselves anger can actually involve a wide range of feelings and so we may be a little annoyed over a minor incident like being stuck in traffic or missing our bus and sometimes it's more serious than that like getting hurt or seeing someone else get hurt that makes us angry and that can cause feelings like rage so even though today we know more about the mechanics of emotions like anger it seems today that you can find online that the world is angrier than ever before so in order to understand anger i believe that we need to address some misconceptions that even christians might have about anger so some of you may think that maybe anger doesn't belong in the life of a believer I want to tell you today that Jesus addresses every misconception we might have about anger. So first of all, really quickly, you know, Jesus had bad days. So let me tell you about one of his bad days in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 12. You know, Jesus just had entered the city of Jerusalem as a king on a donkey, and there were courses of Hosanna sung, and people celebrated his arrival. This was a sign of hope. And there, as soon as Jesus set foot in the temple gate, his heart sank within his chest. He was overcome with grief and anger. Why? Well, it's because the house of God looked more like a mega mall. So, what did Jesus do? Well, let's read together here from Matthew, verse 12. Well, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So what happened next? What did Jesus do? Well, actually, the blind and the lame came to Jesus while he was angry, in his anger. And what did he do? Well, let's read on. He healed them. But this is funny here. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. They said, do you hear what these children are saying? And yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Jesus was frustrated. I think think Jesus was having a pretty bad day after all, and couldn't they see that their Savior and King was right before their eyes? Their blindness made him incredibly sad, and yet anger didn't cause Jesus to stray. It set him on the path of our redemption. We enjoy that today. He continued to heal and embrace childlike faith. He would listen as these kids would sing Hosanna, Hosanna. Isn't that amazing self-control? If you're angry and someone comes singing around you, would you still be angry? Jesus had time. Well, what happened next? After sleeping on it, Jesus got up in the morning, and as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And Matthew writes, uh, continuing verse 19, seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to you, said to it, may you never bear fruit again and immediately the tree withered see jesus got angry he just had a night to process and recover but he got angry at a tree he got so angry that he made the poor shrub die so if this isn't the most singular case for anger i don't know what is cuz listen this is important important was jesus angry Definitely. But was his anger pointless? No, I, I think Jesus was so grieved by the fruitlessness of this plant. Why? Because it reminded him of how disconnected and how fruitless many of God's people were. That was the tragedy. And that's what made Jesus angry. So what can we learn from the anger of Jesus? What misconceptions about anger can we learn, or are addressed by his life? Well, the first misconception is that some of you may think that only a few people, a few select people, experience anger. But the truth is, you know, anger is universal. You might struggle with anger, but you're not the only one who does. We all get angry. Anger just comes in many different shapes and sizes. It can sneak its way into any situation and peek its head out from behind many different emotions. Anger is a secondary emotion. So, typically, one of the primary emotions, like fear or sadness, can be found underneath anger. So, in fear includes anxiety and worry, and sadness comes from the experience of loss, disappointment, or discouragement. So, when we're angry, we are often angry and afraid, or grieving, or exhausted, or frustrated, or concerned. You know, anger is a normal reaction in some situations. Anger can be helpful when it matches the situation and motivates people to act or work together towards a goal. However, anger that's dealt with poorly can create problems, it can affect your well-being, and it can harm your relationships. And that's what we want to talk to you about today. But I want to ask you today, is is anger just a harsh reality of our lives? Do we have to just get by with anger? And I personally think that we don't have to. Because the second misconception is that anger is a bad emotion that God disapproves of. But the truth is, anger isn't always sin. God, the God-man, Jesus, and all of mankind experience emotion. And we were created as emotional beings. So by no means are emotions bad. For example, first, God himself is righteous and good and just, and he is angered by sin. You know, the Bible says that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. His anger is righteous and it's purposeful. Second of all, his sinless son, Jesus, was angry. Jesus shows us that anger can be pure and good. How? Well, his anger had proper motive. He was heartbroken for people. It had proper focus. He wasn't angry with people, but sinful behavior and true injustice. Jesus's anger had proper control. He was not out of control or dangerous. He could stop and heal the sick and listen to children sing. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' anger had proper duration. Jesus didn't remain angry for long. It ended, and before long, he became determined to love people. And finally, and most importantly, Jesus' anger had the proper result. His anger confirmed his mission, which is what he, who had no sin, became sin for us and died in our place so that we could become the righteousness of God. That was the result of his anger. You know, following Jesus is not a sanitized life where we become lobotomized zombies walking around saying nice things to each other all the time. God put a fire in our belly because we are made in his image and God has a righteous fire within him. He burns for what is good and he burns for you and he burns for me. So the third misconception is that anger is a useless emotion in Christians. But the truth is, anger can have a purpose. It really can. Jesus shows us in Matthew 21, he was purposeful in his anger. Anger is more than a biological preparation for fight or flight. You know, New York pastor Tim Keller says that anger is energy aroused in defense of something good. And released against something evil. You know, Jesus addressed injustice and sin and separation with well-placed righteous indignation. Jesus was angry with crookedness and spiritual blindness and sin because nothing was ever supposed to become between us and God. Jesus was angry with fruitless lives because God always intended for us to be fruitful. Why? Because... He His anger, why was he angry? Because he loves us. Simply because he loves us. Uh, Some of you parents can relate to that. His response to that anger was to bring us back to God so we could thrive again. So do you want to thrive again? Let me tell you: don't avoid anger in your relationships. Don't lose your passion. Don't avoid conflict. Don't dismiss anger. Let me explain what I mean. In my relationship, for example, my wife and I don't believe in a life without conflict. We just don't see that happening. We know that in life we're going to have trouble. And so we describe our 10-year relationship as a fierce one. Uh, Why? Because we say that every opportunity is found in conflict marked by anger. We need to address it quickly. We need to address anger quickly. We believe that there's an opportunity there. Um, Because clearly, anger is an early sign that something is wrong. So we address it quickly. Because if it is left unchecked, it will damage our relationships. Why? Well, because like Jesus, something in us is awakened in the presence of evil. It comes to our defense and the defense of others. But the problem is, is that we don't always get angry like Jesus gets angry. Our anger spoils. And so, from a biblical perspective, there are no bad emotions, but any emotion can go bad. Emotions only go bad because they are tainted by sin, like fruit that goes rotten. For example, your concern might become worry, or your sadness might become crippling depression. Your fear may become a weapon, and your very real emotions start to ferment and brew. And before you can grasp it, you are filled with anger. And sometimes you're drunk with it, and you just want to paint the world red. And it splashes on your relationships and damages them, poisons them. Well, anger is a product of emotions gone bad, like fruit that has gone sour. But let me ask you, what has spoiled our God-given feelings? What causes us to be angry? Well, because of sin, There are three common causes responsible for how easily we can be provoked to anger. And I'm going to tell you that the first cause is false belief. You know, a false belief is an agreement that we have made with a lie. You know, Christians fall prey to lies all the time. You think, nobody has it as bad as I do. Uh, Nobody cares about me. Oh, this will make me happier. That will make me happy. I need to hurt them before they hurt me. This won't last. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Revenge will make me whole. Things break down when we believe these lies. We tell ourselves, they don't understand us. He will hurt me. She doesn't care. You know, when we believe the worst about others, anger is not far behind. The lies we believe leave cobwebs in our relationships. Um, Carlos Whitaker wrote a book about the transforming power of the gospel in the darkest areas of our lives and it's called kill the spider and so this title kill the spider came from a story that his father told him and his father was an evangelist who um, had revival meetings in Panama while carlos was still a kid and during these meetings he's telling his son about this lady who used to come to him for prayer every night during these revival meetings and every night on the first night, for example, she would come and she went to Carlos's father and said, I need you to pray for me. Would you pray that God would remove the cobwebs from my life? And Carlos's father would be like, Absolutely, let's pray that God would remove the cobwebs from your life. And then the next night she would come again, pray that God would remove the cobwebs from my life, and they would pray. And after a couple of nights, Carlos' father realized that something wasn't working. With this prayer and so one of the final nights of the revival meetings uh, she came to him and he's she asked again that God would remove the cobwebs from her life and Carlos's father said no we're gonna pray a different prayer tonight we're not going to pray that God would remove the cobwebs from your life we are gonna pray that he would kill the spider Is that awesome but what, what does this story show us? I'll tell you really clearly. You can go life, through life preoccupied with untangling the cobwebs of sin in your life, but not the root of it. You can try to manage your anger like good Christians should. You can try to run away from your anger. You could t- count to ten and take long, measured breaths. You can recite a mantra like, Fraba. Or tell yourself, take it easy, take it easy. You can tell yourself to think about something nice like the beach or bacon. And some of this might help you manage the cobwebs of anger in your life, but they will always return because we need to kill the cause of anger. We need to kill the spider. So let me ask you today, what's the spider in your life? What lie have you made an agreement with? What are you believing that's just false? And it's ruining your relationships. Perhaps false beliefs aren't the only cause of anger in your life. If it's not the lies, perhaps it's your loves. So the second cause of anger is naturally idolatry. You know, let me clearly define that. Idolatry puts a person or thing on the throne of our lives where it can rule supreme. The That seat of authority belongs only to God, but anything else in that seat is an idol. And if God does not have authority in our lives, our our goals naturally change. Our goals become selfish, and it's hard to see others and, and understand people. Idols can be a great distraction to God's goals, which is to redeem and renew all creation. A distraction from his primary focus, which is people. But if you're preoccupied with your own goals, people don't matter to you as much as they matter to God. Idolatry not only breaks down our relationships, our relationship with God, but our relationships with others. And that's why idolatry is so closely tied to anger. Why? Well, if someone's goals and priorities are not God and others, don't get in their way. You do not want to block their goals. When you block the goals of someone in your life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you are liable to cause them to be emotional. Most likely, it will be followed with hurt and frustration and fear and then anger. I want you to consider when your goals are blocked. It's, it's Pretend you're sitting in traffic at rush hour and you're already late for an interview and the entire yellowhead is backed up and it's reduced to a single lane and the off ramp is a parking lot and the line is longer than Swiss chalet at Sunday on Sunday that's a long line you're late for a job interview and people decide to drive like maniacs on that specific day haven't they ever heard of the zipper merge right and so you feel very compelled to use a very clear hand gesture to motivate the motorists around you to move it. And you lay on your horn and decide to have a full, fiery, one-sided yelling match with the driver across from you because they won't let you into their lane. Don't they know how important this interview is to you? Nothing is worse than somebody standing between you and your goal. You just want to walk right through them. That is until you ask yourself, Am I being reasonable? Was traffic really that bad? Is my lack of preparation anyone else's problem but mine? Is missing the interview really the end of the world? Am I really the most important person here? See, when somebody gets in our way, that is when we understand what is most important to us. It might not be what's most important to God. So let me ask you really clearly, is there a form of idolatry in your life that is driving you to anger? Is there blocked goals damaging your relationship? Now, idols in our lives can create roadblocks in our relationships, but sometimes there are events that are outside our control, and they're just not right. Something is wrong. Something is so clearly wrong here. In life, we will have trouble. And that's naturally why the third cause of anger is injustice. And so I believe that we naturally have a sense of injustice. And it's wired into us. And we can intuitively know when something is wrong. It's etched into our identity. The imago Dei. The image we are made in. God's. Who is just. But sin... Has obscured that picture that image and today we ask ourselves more than ever what is just where is justice who will bring justice and we applaud and we fantasize about masked vigilantes and dark crusades of justice deep down don't we just all want to be Batman just to take justice into our own hands isn't that true I think you can relate to that you know Doesn't it make you angry when you see people you love get hurt? What if someone you trust betrays you? Doesn't that make you angry? Isn't that unjust? You know, it's hard to stand by when people are suffering. What about the innocent or the vulnerable? How do you feel when you are confronted with the reality that in some places in the world, girls are taken captive and sold for the purposes of being sold for sex? You know, this is a reality that the extended family of Crosspoint is addressing right now. We talked about the nefarious documentary screening, and every time I watch the trailer for the nefarious documentary that we will be showing at the end of the month, by the way, I am angry, I am sad, and I feel slightly violent. That feeling is dangerous. Taking things into our angry hands can be dangerous. And you know what? We observe injustice almost every day. So we have this great potential for anger. So what are we going to do with all this emotional energy? What can we do about anger? You know, the Word of God thankfully provides three approaches to anger. And so first, we must excavate our anger. You know, people think we must either ventilate or control anger. I mean, those same people may say that Christians need to control their anger. Push it down, suppress it, bury it deep down below. And I, I think that this is not only false, but dangerous. So the writer of Hebrews says something different. In verse, or chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, uh, starting in verse 14, he says, beware. If the root of bitterness remains and springing up defiles many. Don't bury the root of anger. Please don't do that today. Just like an archaeologist uncovers the artifacts of a lost civilization, I want you to, to excavate the buried cause of your anger. Be aware of where your anger slithers and how it sneaks up on you. Slowly take the brush to your anger and get a clear picture of your beliefs and your goals and your expectations, and ultimately what makes you angry. But I want to tell you, be careful. Traps lie ahead. You must proceed with caution. I want to be really clear about what I mean here. If you have experienced serious trauma in your life that may or may not be the cause of anger in your life, do not uncover it without the help of a trained professional. Excavating the site of anger is a positive step in the right direction, yes, but this journey is not without trouble. And we just love you too much, and we want you to be safe. So if you have major trauma that may cause anger, don't do it alone. Find a trained professional to do it with you. Okay? Because the excavation site of anger reveals uh, that we are just really like many people we know. We're just not okay. And that cross point... We value you, and we value your relationships. Our motto is, it's okay to not be okay here, but we don't want to leave you that way. And so I personally believe that the signs of fire in our lives, like anger, are opportunities for refinement. We do not merely want to expose the tender root of anger in our lives, but finally, the second approach to address our anger is to evaluate your anger. That's the second step, is to... Evaluate your anger. So if you struggle with anger, it's vital to slow down and listen. Anger can become a fast-moving car without a driver, rolling down a very steep hill of primary emotions. And if you're operating a car like in downtown San Francisco or Halifax or even the River Valley in Edmonton, it's important to mind your brakes on steep hills. It's important to set your tires and torque your e-brake when you park. You know, you must pump your brakes as you barrel down Bellamy Hill towards a busy intersection, right? Especially when it's icy. And so it is with anger. Pump your brakes, slow your roll. Don't let it get away from you. Evaluate it. Where is this anger coming from? Can God shed some light on my anger? Do I understand the situation correctly? James writes, and uh, James 1, the book of James, verse 19, he writes this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so in our relationships, friends, it's important to slow down. And the Bible teaches that, you know, we shouldn't let the sun go down on our anger, and that's true. But perhaps today, let me tell you that maybe that's not true in the way that we think. What's sure is that the source of our anger needs to be addressed and dealt with quickly. Otherwise, it will deal unfairly with us. But should we attempt to fix the relational issue of anger when we're still vibrating violently with rage? Probably not. I think that would be as as effective as trying to construct Ikea furniture while we're hungry and tired and the instructions are in Swedish. Right? It's not going to work. Slow down. You know, James helps us to see that it's important to slow down when you're angry with someone. Anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, but perhaps some time and space and an invitation to the Holy Spirit to work in us will. So slow down and allow God to work in your anger by employing these four practices. First of all, allow each other time to process your feelings. Give them some space. Second, invite the Holy Spirit to work in you. Maybe to convict you of sin if you've sinned. Number three, make efforts of reconciliation. Come back and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And then finally, number four is give restoration time. It's going to take time, so put the time in. Make efforts of restoration. You know, because of sin, we need to take a moment to consider where our anger comes from and if it is appropriate and if it produces the righteousness that God desires. But you might ask well, what do I do if my anger is unrighteous? What do we do? Well, the final approach, and this is most important, is that we need to exchange our anger. Exchange your anger. And you might be wondering what I mean. Well, ultimately, we want to trade our sinful anger for righteous anger. We want to be angry like Jesus is angry. We want to be moved by what moves him. We want to exchange our heart motivations for his. We want to be at peace with others and with God. And so exchanging your anger for peace involves two steps of trust. First, you need to really just surrender judgment to God. We need to ask ourselves, does justice belong to us? Should it belong to us? Are we able to bring about perfect justice? The Apostle Paul has an answer in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 17. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful what you do is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. What good can amount from repaying evil? with evil. Well, the psalmist writes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. Friends, if we surrender our judgment to God, what does he expect from us then? If we can do that today, what role do we play? What can we do today? So instead, I think that we should overcome evil with good. We must partner with God. That's the second step of trust we need to take, is to partner with God. If we have decided to entrust God with bringing about justice, we have agreed to partner with him in doing justice his way. The prophet Micah makes what God requires of those who follow him very clear. Chapter 6, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. and What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does that look like? Well, for example, again, in my relationship, my wife and I no longer keep score of offenses. There just is too many. Honestly, there's just too many to keep track of. We have opted to leave the judgment of each other to God. And in the end, who is responsible and who deserves judgment in a relationship is less important than the restorative work that we have to do We need to be more focused on what God requires of us to do justice, not to make judgment. So how do we do justice? Well, Micah says, by loving his mercy, giving his mercy to others, by walking humbly with our God who is perfect justice. We partner with him in his redemptive plan for the world. I'm going to invite the band back up before I continue. But I want to tell you, our anger is just so imperfect. What can we do? We can exchange lies for truth. We can exchange our idols for peace with others in God. We can exchange our anger for trust. Trust that he will settle the score. Let me me tell you a story about my anger. You know, I've been angry most of my life yeah. The first time I remember being angry, I was uh, barely uh, in school. Uh, I was just in the early grades of grade school, and my brothers wouldn't give me the time of day. They were six and seven years older than me, and I was just the the youngest brother, young brother syndrome. I was bratty, and naturally, they just didn't want to hang out with me, and I get that, but I was lonesome because of that, and that loneliness made me furious. Um, The second time Or another memory of being angry was when I was in elementary and I just resented being a pastor's kid. People are just super unfair to families in ministry. I just could never meet the expectations of people. And that made me angry. And out of that, I was angry in high school because I hated when people labeled me. I worked really hard just to get people's affirmation i desperately wanted to be accepted by people in high school and so when i was 19 i was angry again because i thought i had thrown my life away my anger had caused me to cope by active addiction using drugs and alcohol and whatnot i and out of that i hurt people and so at 19 years old i sat in the passenger seat of my friend's black cavalier Crying bitter tears because of anger. For so long I had pushed anger down. Suppressed anger. Because I just wanted to be accepted. I just wanted to be loved. And all of a sudden all these emotions and all this anger had come flooding back. And it was then I decided to trust God with my anger. Sitting in that car. I trust God with my anger now. I wanna ask you if you can join me in entrusting your anger to God today. You can settle the score. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. Lord God, work in us today. Some of us are struggling with anger. So today we ask that you transform our hearts and our minds and guide our steps in our relationships as we learn to entrust you with anger. We just love you for it. We thank you for your perfect
0: anger. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast.